Get Ready to Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back for episode three of the Sooner the Better podcast with your hosts, the infamous Grimes Brothers. I'm Jackson. He's Blake. Say what's up, Blake. Blake. Yep. So we have an absolute schlamboni of a content lineup for you guys today. I don't even know what that word means, but... Me and Blake have actually both prepared some slam poetry pieces, so we're going to be sharing those with you. So buckle in for the next hour and a half, because we're going to be talking a little bit about our feelings. This is the first uh, first podcast that we are actually in the same location while yes. we were recording it. Now, we tried to actually be in the same room, and mm-hmm. it did not work because of audio difficulties, so yep. we're actually in different rooms, but yep. we are in my... Uh, my place in Dallas, beautiful Dallas, Texas. It's a gorgeous day, about 72 and sunny. We just got done with a brunch. I had a couple of mimosas, so I'm feeling slightly fucked. So this should be a fun, fun podcast. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, um, we're going to get right into it. So uh, for segment one today, like always, we're going to have new business. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Sooners, how they performed in the Super Bowl, uh, the ones that did perform in the Super Bowl. We're going to go through some recruiting updates. Um, talk a little bit about some some shade, some hate that has been thrown at the uh, the OU Sooners that we love so dearly, and then um, we'll move on to our segment about Schmitty and some of the workouts that they've been going through. Schmitty, and, and then our final segment, we're just going to be talking like in specifics, some scheme stuff, uh, things that we want to see at the spring game and just the twenty twenty two season in general, and then we're going to finish up with our listener submitted questions. So, with that. We're going to get right to it. Let's get to it. All right. Segment one, new business. Wanted to start with the Super Bowl Sooners just to kind of give a shout out to those guys. And um, obviously, huge achievement, not even just getting to that level, but, um, you know, making it to that that final game. We had Ogbo Karankwo playing for the Rams. Um, Not a great performance on paper. One tackle, one solo tackle. But obviously, there's more to it than just the the statistics that are written on paper. Um, I didn't really watch him with any particular. I, I was a little sauced. I'm not gonna lie. So, so paying attention to the line of scrimmage was was not yeah. something that I that yeah, I, was I mean, doing at the time. I was I was I was writing a paper. I'm pretty sure while mm-hmm. I was watching it. So I was not I was not really paying attention to anybody. Like honestly, they made it there. Good for them good to see Sooners in the Super Bowl playing at the next level really in general but the only one that really stood out to me was Joe Mixon um he had a decent day 15 rushes for 72 yards fun fact he's the first Sooner to throw a touchdown pass in a Super Bowl other than Troy Aikman if you count him but mm-hmm. he left us so um yeah, I mean, what, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you think that says about us as QBU? We're supposed to be QBU, and Joe Mixon's the first Sooner that threw a touchdown in a, uh, in a Super Bowl. You know, I, I think it's QBU based on their performance in college. Um, so I'm not, not really going to speak on how these guys perform in the pros. But, yeah, man, Joe Mixon, solid game, had that crazy throwing touchdown, 15 carries, 74 yards. Um, but other than him, nobody else – I mean, Bobby Evans, Jordan Evans – um, both played a really limited amount of snaps, which, you know, is to be expected. And then, uh, Samaj P Ryan got a few touches, but didn't really make, man, they know. gave it, they gave it to him on that fourth and one. I don't know why they didn't, they, they didn't hand the ball to Joe Mixon. 
yeah. I don't know what their I don't know what their thought process was. I mean, I know P Ryan's supposed to be a bigger mm-hmm. power back, I guess, but I don't yeah. know why you wouldn't give it to Joe Mixon in that case. Yeah, from um, what I heard, they had already had him out there, and they were kind of trying to run tempo. And Samajid, you know, always does really well in those fourth and short yardage situations. But I mean, it doesn't matter who you put in there. Um, if Aaron Donald wants you wants you down, he, he's getting you down. I mean, that dude yeah. just had a will to win on those last two snaps. So it is what it is. Congratulations to the Rams. Um, really good job to everybody that played in that game, though. It was super exciting. So congrats to both teams. Um, yep. Moving on, some recruiting updates, talking about the 2023 class. Um, this is going to be real short. We're just going to be running through it. OU has offered two wide receivers, um, Kyler Casper, who is out of Arizona, I believe. This dude looks really, really solid, um, really, really tall, 6'5". Um, he's not the fastest on the field, but he doesn't need – he's one of those guys that doesn't need perfect passes. He's really good at stretching out and making those plays. Um, getting vertical, turning on, you know, to his off shoulder, um, and just make some really solid catches. Yeah. And then uh, Jeremiah Smith, a receiver out of Florida, 6'2", um, kind of like the polar opposite of Tyler Casper. He's kind of that, like, you know, Marquise Brown to a C.D. Lamb. Um, he's not tall. Like, he's, he's not the tallest guy. He's not going to make the craziest catches, but he's just super explosive off the line, has a good stride, um, and can just beat guys – uh, you know, going down the field. And then we have tight end Riley Williams, who is a 6'6 monster. And this dude's solid. I mean, he does exactly what you'd think a 6'6 tight end is going to do, like just make everybody else look like a damn baby. Doesn't need a whole lot of space to make tough catches um, and just go out there and be shifty, make guys miss tackles. Um, any, anything on him? I have been. I've been just kind of running through it. I haven't really given you a chance to. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't. Takes. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on the new recruits. Um, you know, I twenty twenty three is not really for me. My big focus right now. I'm more focused on the twenty twenty two season. That class. So I haven't kept a really tight eye on the twenty twenty three class. I'll probably yeah. start paying more attention to that after, you know, after the season gets started. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of natural. Yeah, and I mean, these, these are all relatively recent offers. I mean, these are all within the last four to five days. So, uh, and then uh, my last guy, defensive back, Avery Stewart. Uh, I believe he's a Texas kid, um, but he was offered two days ago. So I haven't really had much time to do any research on him, but he's a, he's a four-star guy. Um, and obviously we're really in need on the secondary. Um, so hopefully these next two classes are both going to be Super, super solid back there. Um, Moving on. This is going to be a longish segment for new business. A lot of hate, a lot of shade, a lot of shit talk has been, has been thrown our way. So there's, there's three main things that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, Number one, and the most important to me is the conference bias and how it's kind of played into people's expectations of Oklahoma not just these, these upcoming seasons, but like how it's been for us the past, you know, decade. Um, just the Big 12 getting seen as like a historically weak conference to me is just is just bullshit. And people always using it as an excuse to, you know, downplay OU success. Our, our, our wins count for less. Our losses count for more because people think we're playing these scrub teams. But then when we get to bowl season 
and you know these these middling teams that we that we absolutely stomp all year long go and play these middling SEC teams, and they beat them in bowl games. So I, I'm just having a hard time understanding why the why people think the Big Twelve um, is is such a weak conference. Yeah, it's it doesn't really make sense. I think that the big I think I think that the big misunderstanding comes from branding, right? So we're, the, most of the Big 12 schools were, were in the Midwest. Um, other than OU in Texas, there's not really any other traditional powerhouses. We lost Nebraska. Um, so, I mean, there's we're really – OU and Texas are the only two big powerhouses, and Texas yeah. has been down. Um, but – Teams like Oklahoma State, like Baylor, like Kansas State have really stepped up, always been really solid teams. Looking at Bleacher Report's team rating, the Big 12 is the third best Power 5 conference. And I think that that's accurate. I think you could make an argument some seasons that we are the second best, but they have us at third. Um, They did like an average team rating. So just to kind of run through that, uh, of the Power Five conferences, the Pac-12 is the weakest. I don't think that's any surprise to anybody. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 has been absolute shit. Other than Utah and Oregon, to a degree, yep. Yep. they really don't have anybody. Um, they have their average team rating at 2.58. Mm-hmm. Next, number four, they have the ACC average team rating at 2.86. I think that's very accurate. Other than Clemson you don't really have any team that's consistently a high performer. Mm-hmm. Um, Wake Forest was obviously pretty good this past year. North Carolina has kind of been up and down. Pitt was pretty good last year. But other than that, they don't really have any dominant teams. Number three, they have the Big 12 uh, average team rating at 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I think that that's – probably pretty accurate you have oklahoma who's always very dominant oklahoma state that has their seasons where they're pretty dominant but they're never they never have bad teams they never bring bad teams out um Mm -hmm. baylor has you know they rebuilt really fast and they've had seasons where they're extremely dominant kansas state is always a solid team we've experienced that a few times where we've gotten our asses kicked by them um, they always field good teams. Iowa State always fields pretty good teams. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you have a, a lot of teams that are solid. Um, right. at number two, and I think this is interesting, they have the Big Ten. Their average team rating is 3.07. So, by Bleacher Report standards, the Big Ten is only 0.07 better than us. Um, and I would make no. arguments, what, what teams? I mean, what, yeah. uh, Ohio State? Sure, they're, they're always dominant. Ohio State is the OU of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So they're always going to be dominant. They're always going to have the expectations of making it to at least a New Year's Six Bowl, um, usually a playoff run. Michigan was good this year. They've been shit most years. Um, yeah. Michigan State is always okay. Wisconsin's okay, but they can't pass the ball ever. Um, Iowa's always a solid team, but they're never a real contender. I, I just don't really get – I don't know that I would necessarily most years put the Big Ten above the Big 12. Yeah. And then the SEC no, I, is obviously the best, and that's why we're leaving yeah, to go there. But I don't even know that I would give the Big Ten that much credit because I, I, I – genu- especially this year, I genuinely don't believe that they're better 
uh, team for team in the Big 12. Because, I mean, you're talking about they're, – they're almost two identical conferences in terms of how the season plays out. I mean, you have you have one big dog at the top in Oklahoma and Ohio State. An Ohio State team that we've shown that we're capable of beating, but also vice versa. Like, you know, if right. we play 10 games, one will win five, one will win five, or, you know, four and six or whatever the case may be. Um, and then, you know, a two – two or three, you know, semi-dominant teams that are going to win, you know, eight or nine games a season right below them. And then, you know, some trash, you know, some trash teams. But, I mean, the, the thing that I don't understand is how people are so quick to discredit OU right now, how like where we currently stand, when we're playing in an extremely strong conference based on what happened in the bowl games. I mean, you're looking at, you're looking at the SEC. Texas Tech, one of the worst teams in our conference – destroys Mississippi State, who won, I think, seven games. K-State destroys LSU. Baylor beats Ole Miss, who is one of the strongest offensive teams in the SEC. And then OSU um, beats Notre Dame, who's who was a team that was on the verge of getting in the playoff. Had Alabama lost to Georgia, Notre Dame was in the playoff. And OSU goes uh, and beats them in a, in a neutral stadium. Uh, and then we have Iowa State almost beating Clemson, who's, you know, typically one of the best, the best team in the ACC. So uh, I would honestly say SEC, Big 12, and then everybody else. And I think we're starting to get to a point. I mean, what I see, I mean, obviously with the expansion of the playoff coming in and OU and Texas moving to the SEC, I see a system coming into play where we're going to see three major conferences. I see the Big 10 absorbing the best parts of the pack and the ACC and maybe some of these non-conference teams like Notre Dame, and then basically just having a power three, and then everybody else stands for themselves. I mean, how it is right now, I mean, you can probably agree. I'd say the American Conference is more competitive than the PAC, or maybe even the ACC. So, Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. I mean, if you look at just the bowl games, Pac-12 went 0-5 uh, straight up. And they're, they're, just, they're just not very good. I think they're putting a lot of – they're putting a lot of chips on the table with Riley getting, being able to bring SC back to some sort of prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're getting to the point to where those, those West coast schools are just not, they're not able to compete at the level of where the Southeast and the Midwest um, is able to, to compete at. And, you know, to, to me, it's, I don't know what will happen as far as realignment goes. Um, obviously, OU is moving into a better position monetarily and then for the eye test moving into the SEC to be able to compete for championships and build yeah. a, you know, take our program to the next level. But teams that the Big 12 is bringing in, that they still won't be the third best conference in football. Yeah. Um, I think they're bringing in strong teams, Cincinnati, BYU, Houston. Um, You know, there's talks that SMU might jump over. They're they're still going to have an extremely strong conference. That's going to be able to give the PAC 12 and um, the ACC a whole bunch of hell. Yeah. I mean, and that's why when people ask me, like if, if I'm, if I have any like reservations about OU transitioning to the SEC, it's just like, no, because the weaker teams from our conferences beat these schools. When we get non-conference matchups, we beat these schools. So why should we get scared to play them every year? And then, I mean, at that point, it's just 
it's all perception at the end of the day. Um, I think it's an incorrect perception, but if people think we're beating better teams, that's it's better for us. You know, it, it paints a better playoff picture for us. So think what you will. Um, in my opinion, the Big 12 is without a doubt the second strongest conference in football, but haters going to hate, man. No. Yep. And then moving on, uh, another thing that's been really grinding my gears, way too early top 25 rankings have been – a slap in the face to OU football and the OU football fans. Um, oh. RJ Young, a guy who used to be a huge proponent of OU, covered OU almost more than any other team in college football, put us at 23. Um, ESPN's Mark Schlaubach put us at 17. Uh, and both of those rankings were ranked below OSU, Wake Forest, NC State, Michigan State, and Houston, which are – six teams that I don't think we're losing to anytime soon. I mean, obviously we lost to OSU uh, in the Bedlam game, but there were some factors at play, you know, outside of, outside of the football field. But I mean, that's just, that, that's just ridiculous, dude. Like you, you gotta be sure yeah. to put no you that low. We've consistently been um, a top five football team for the last, however many years. To me, the biggest slap in the face is uh, I'm looking at the uh, – I believe this is Bleacher Reports, um, Andy Kramer's rankings, mm-hmm. and they have us one – he has us at 20th, one slot above USC. Like the – Yeah, I mean it, – The fact that – the fact that – okay, yes, USC brought over Caleb Williams and, and a few other players – they still don't have an offensive line. They're still not going to have a defense to think that they're really going to be one slot worse than us with the, with the the coaching staff that we've brought in the talent that we brought in in this recruiting class and with the transfer class, like just let's be real. And and I mean, there's a lot of things that are slaps in the face though. I think that they, they have, they have Iowa at 19th below, below Houston and NC state and wait for it. Like they, they just, I, to me, it's, it's all kind of asinine. Oh yeah. Um, it's a joke. It's a joke. And it, it's, but it's, it's, it's all clickbait journalism. I mean, I mean, yeah, the, we're at a point in time where obviously OU fans are upset about what happened with the whole Lincoln Riley situation. And we're, we're paying attention to what's going on. So anytime someone puts out an article with the, with the name Oklahoma in the title, we're going to go look at it and they're going to get tons of engagement if they put something stupid or negative, like OU is going to be ranked 23rd. Or Stuart Mandel, I'm pretty sure he took it back and changed it, but Stuart Mandel from The Athletic had us outside of the top 25. And it's just it's just like, dude, I get, the, I get that the new coaching staff is untested, but so is USC's. Um, so are a lot of programs, including Oregon, who they all put in their top 25. And it, it just seems like one of those things where they're, they're doing it just for the sake of getting people to click on it. And – yeah, it's. And yeah. I think a lot of it does come from non OU fans looking at the. I don't think they really understand what happened with that coaching change. Like, I really think that they do think, and then we'll kind of segue to our next thing, talking yeah. about the the coaching higher rankings. I think they really think that we took a that we took an L. Yeah. With our new coaching staff, and every single OU fan is kind of like, wait a second, no, we're our coaching staff is a lot better. Like not not a little bit better. Like it was Lincoln Riley an offensive whiz? Sure. 
I think I think defenses were starting to figure him out. But but sure, he was yes, he he was a he was a unique offensive mind. The rest of our coaching staff that left like eh, I I don't I don't see a single slot where we got yeah. better. So going to look at um to CBS's coaching carousel grades. Mm-hmm. They they oh. gave the Brent Venables oh yeah no an A yeah. minus yeah so I was yeah I was I was on CBS and uh, I I seen I seen the little clip from the Cover Three podcast with Tom Cornelli, um, basically ranking all the new coaching hires with the with the whole carousel that's been going on and he's talking about Brent Venables and he gives him a three out of five he gives him a three out of five, but this is this is this is the real low blow he gives he gives. Brent Venables a three out of five and gives Lincoln Riley to USC a five out of five. This is the stupidest piece of sports journalism I have heard in the last year. The fact that you can line these two resumes up and say, okay, look, the only time you should be mentioning the number three when talking about Brent Venables is if you're talking about how many fucking national championships he's won. Okay, you put you put the resumes side by side. You're talking about a guy who's consistently been the best defensive coordinator in football and has put out almost as many top 100 defensive recruits as Nick Saban himself, a guy who's won three national championships next to Lincoln Riley, who has never won a playoff game, never won a national championship, and who only has five years of head coaching experience in which his team got worse, literally speaking, got got worse on paper year after year after year this is another one of those things where it's just he he knew who his target was and and he took his shot now here's here's the only thing that i will say if you're ranking the coaching jobs i totally disagree with the brent venables so i think brent venables was an a hire i think it was a solid a hire um i think he was the perfect guy to come in he had sooner blood he was the type of attitude that we wanted to see that was a departure from Riley's attitude. We wanted toughness. We wanted a strong defense. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get back to bullying people. And so to, for us, I think it was an A higher. Three out of five, that's bullshit. Yep. Um, now, if you're looking at it in the context of the team that made the hire, Lincoln Riley to USC was an A plus or five out of five higher because they should not have been able to get him a coach of that caliber. Um, what now, if he'll be able to do anything there, we'll have to see because it's not like they've had shit hires, you know, the, before they've had good coaches. They had Lane Kiffin out there. Couldn't do anything. They had uh, Sark out there. He couldn't do anything. Yeah. So they've, they've had good coaches out there. Um, we'll, we'll see if that was the issue. I have a sneaking sub- suspicion that coaching was not the issue out there. Um, but right. it, for them, getting a name like Riley when they were able to get it, getting pulling him from OU, that that wasn't five out of five higher for them. But yeah. is Riley a five out of five coach compared to Brent Venables? Absolutely not. No, yeah. I mean, if you're drawing comparisons, I don't think that. I mean, the only thing he has on him is that he has head coaching experience. But I mean, there, Brent Venables has been coaching the game, you know. Way longer, way way longer yeah. than 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 Tebow has, and he, 
I, I just don't know how you can see those resumes on paper and say, oh, this guy's better than this guy. Um, because he's an offensive guru, which in my opinion, he has yet to prove. He had five years with one of the best college football programs in, in the sport and couldn't even win a playoff game. Um, but probably the stupidest part of that entire um, situation that they had going on that podcast, the conversation that they were having, is he said the reason it's a three out of five hire is because it was the safe hire and the only reason we brought on Venables instead of someone else is because we figured he would be here for a long time. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, but that is absolutely a piece of criteria you should be using when looking for a head coach to take you to a new conference and win you national championships. You don't want somebody that's only going to be there for three to five years. So yeah. continuity, to me, is absolutely a fucking part of it. So to get a guy that you think is going to be there for a decade – but also has the pedigree that Brent Venables has. I just, I, I don't see it. I don't see a yeah. three out of five anywhere on. No. Well, I mean, it's for us with OU, how we view our program. And this was the, this was the big thing. The big blow that hurt with Lincoln Riley is we are not a stepping stone program. We are a top tier program. And so, yes, we wanted someone who bled sooner blood that bled red like we needed someone who would come in here and would be the next bob stoops someone who would truly take the baton into the next generation and yep. then would be there to oversee our move to the sec and when he's ready to retire will still be involved in the program the same way that bob is and so i think yes that's that's 100 percent what they were looking for because we got fucked by hiring someone who wasn't that we got fucked by hiring someone who was who was looking for the, just the next bigger the next biggest bag or the exactly you know the flashier exactly. maybe the flashier opportunity because oh i can go out to la and you know rub shoulders with the stars and go be on the show with cowherd's bitch ass and you know yeah. talk about yeah oh yes he's so great and i love southern california and I, now i can go to lake of games and hang out with lebron like go fuck yourself dude that's not yeah, what we want exactly so uh, yeah, Tom Fornelli, you can you can suck our big crimson cojones. Uh, we're we're done talking about you. So bid you adieu, sir. Uh, so the last one that I wanted to talk about in terms of the Oklahoma the the, the shade being thrown is uh, Mackenzie Milton, new coaching hire at uh, UCF, who formerly played there, and ironically transferred out of UCF to go play at Florida State has thrown shade at Dylan Gabriel for transferring, um, basically criticized him for leaving Orlando, even though he did the same exact shit, um, and then uses an opportunity to basically say that the Midwest um, isn't like a good football area and that the only recruiting draw blue chip programs have is that they're blue chip, which kind of forms an argument for the blue chips. It's like, yeah, all we, all we do is win national championships. That, that's it. I mean, we, we only have the biggest fan bases in – in football we're only the biggest football market in the entire country like that that's it why would you want to come play here i mean it's just well, stupid it's just stupid. i mean so here's my i get i kind of get what he's talking about but not in the context of how he said it so if you were if he was the coach in miami or in right yeah i mean even even usc we'll talk about that yeah you yeah you could go to norman oklahoma but would you rather do that or would you rather come live in Miami? Cause there's a certain lifestyle. It's, you know, if you, if you go out to, you go out to Southern California, you're in LA, you know, you have that pitch. You do have the pitch of you're in LA, you know, we have, 
the agents are out here. We have, we can get you deals with sponsors and stuff that you probably can't get if you're a Norman. Understandable. The dudes in, in Orlando, what, what, what's the draw? Disneyland? Like Disney yeah. World? That's, that's what, yes, you're right. In Norman, in Norman, we don't have, we don't have Disney World. Um, is that's the draw? Cause I mean, otherwise yeah. Orlando is not, Orlando is not like this crazy cool place. I mean, it's not Miami. It's not, you know, I mean, I guess you're kind of close. You're a couple hours away from Tampa or Jacksonville, but like, I, I mean, it's not, you're, you're in the yep. middle of central Florida. Like there's not, there's not shit there. Yeah. And I mean, it, the, the fact of the matter is like, these guys are here to play football, right? I mean, in terms of like what you have going on in the off season, um, during this, you have no time to party. Like they're not, they're not there to party. They're not there to go clubbing. Like these dudes play football. Like they have yeah. regimented days. They don't go like they're, they're not there to be on vacation and nobody cares. And, and here's my argument to the, the whole market thing. Right. So I would, I would argue that being a part of the Oklahoma university brand, I would say that is actually more valuable than being in a hot market like Miami. I think you overall in terms of like over the course of your entire football career, make more money by being a part of the Oklahoma brand than you would um, being a part of, uh, you know, one of those Florida schools that are way less relevant. Um, but being out there in a place where everybody thinks there's a whole bunch of NIL money, when all the money is really to be made in the Midwest, which is what he was talking shit about because we have such strong football brands up there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, just, I, I, I get it, but like also there's no reason for him to throw shade at, it you know the the traditional powerhouses out here that i mean when you look at all the all the real powerhouses maybe outside of yeah outside of usc i suppose and miami all the powerhouses are are somewhere in the middle of the country alabama there's not i mean there's not much out there in tuscaloosa mm -hmm. there you know uh oklahoma there's not much in norman you have Austin, which is kind of a cool area, but Texas has not been a prominent school for a long time. And I think I think you do risk if you if your allure to kids is that hey, we have a cool party city or we have a cool scene, you're not going to get the right type of kids out there. Exactly because the kids the kids that you want playing on your football team aren't going to care about that. Yeah, you want the guys coming to play football. Exactly. Um, but yeah, any anything else on the uh, the Sooner haters? So no, nah, I mean, I'm ready to put like, it behind here's, this. Here's the thing: I, I I'm glad that we're coming into the season underrated and kind mm -hmm. of uh, brushed to the side because I think this I think this team's going to have a real chip on their shoulder anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they're going to come out with some fire, especially with the work that they've been put through. And uh, I think I'm I'm glad that we're coming out with low expectations because it allows us to put a little chip on our shoulder and go uh, oh, bust yep. some heads in. Yep. And these boys are working. That, that is the perfect segue into our next segment. Um, this next segment we are calling Messing with Schmitty, which is how we got the title of this episode. Um, these workouts, these winter workouts, man, are in full swing these dudes are busting ass um the entire program the entire staff's been really open about it in terms of like talking about preparation and what they're doing for the what they're doing for the guys and you know what they're going through on a daily basis so right now they have two days going on so lift in the morning uh optional 
quote unquote optional lifting. When, when you play sports, if there's an optional second lift, it's not optional. You're, you're going yeah. to it. You're, you're doing that extra lift, putting in that extra work. Um, and the program that Smitty got him on, from what I've been hearing, dudes have been putting on some solid weight, like some, some really solid weight. Uh, like I'm talking like eight to 10 pounds at this point in the programming that they've been doing. So it's definitely, it's, it's definitely working. I don't know well, if, if I'm not, any... if, if I'm not mistaken, they also got a, a team nutritionist, right? They, they got a cook to come in and cook for everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, they have a, they have a team nutritionist. I think right now, yeah. like they're working on making some updates to the football facility. They're going to have a new, uh, new recovery room put in there. They're going to have a new, um, I think a new, new player lounge. And one thing that they all just got, uh, they basically just bought the entire team uh, individually, like each their own set of Norma Tech, uh, like cooling boots, which if you don't know what those are, it, it's basically a $1,200 pair of like leggings that you put on and it puts a lot of pressure on your legs and like cools your legs to send the blood back up, let it get oxygenated and then it comes back down. So uh, they obviously they use them for player recovery, but each player now has their own pair. So nice. they're definitely investing a shit ton of money, a shit ton of time uh, into, you know, making these guys physically just monsters, which uh, I just wanted to shout out Braden Willis. Apparently, apparently Braden Willis can bench 340 pounds for reps, which for a tight end. Allegedly. Allegedly. That's what he said. That's what he said on his (laughs) podcast, podcast on a prayer. If y'all haven't seen it, check it out. I'm pretty sure. If you're listening to our podcast, you've probably heard that podcast. But um, yeah, Braden Willis is strong as fuck, according to himself. And uh, that's pretty much it for me. I know. I know you wanted to talk about some horror stories. Yeah, I, well, I just just looking through some of the the tweets uh, that some of the players posted once he once he was hired back. Um, I mean, Teddy Layman's got some hilarious ones of him him puking predator blood into a drain <laughs> after his first workout. Um, there was one where they had him. Uh, they had him. I believe it was Teddy Layman. They had him on the stairmaster because he was late for a workout but he wasn't actually late and he had him on there for an hour and he's just dripping buckets of sweat um nick harris posted one about i guess he had like like asthma or something like that and they were going through practice and he his like legs were locked out and he couldn't breathe and stuff and yeah. Smitty thought he was just trying to get out of he's just, he's just trying to get out of the workout and the trainer had to actually come over and like pull Smitty off of him so that he can get a break. Yeah, I mean they're 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 getting put through hell, but I mean yeah. they're they're gonna be some tough sons of bitches afterwards. Yes. Yeah, they're gonna be better off for it. And from what I've heard they haven't really been complaining. Like they're all they're all down with the program. But yeah, That's no, good. Schmitty Schmitty's an intense guy. Apparently his his thing is calling people big dog. Big dog. Yeah, big dog. You come in and you're not you're not ten minutes early for the world. Why are you late? Where 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 were you, big dog? And then you're on the stair stepper. So Yeah. I love it, man. They're going to be some beasts. Uh, so moving on from that, uh, our last segment, we're just going to go through kind of like some detailed scheme things that we want to see in the spring game, uh, as well as just the season overall, I guess. So uh, just, I guess we'll start with offense. So I, the way I kind of broke it down is just kind of like some play specific stuff that 
used to see with some of the older offenses and some things that Jeff Levy was doing at Ole Miss. One thing that, that we used to do when we had when we were playing with Mark Andrews and Grant Calcaterra um, and, you know, Dimitri Flowers and something that Jeff Levy does is running that I formation, but with basically a tight end on, you know, you know, tight end strong side, fullback lines up strong side, and then, you know, running those inside zones towards that strong side so that you have an extra blocker. Um, But then that opens up the play action pass because, um, you know, you're bringing the linebackers forward because they're always going to be expected to run, and that opens up those downfield tight end passes. So that's definitely something that we haven't utilized, in my opinion, in the last two years enough. I don't think we've utilized tight ends at all enough in the last two years. But, you know, that formation specifically, I think is – really, really effective. So seeing that would be, would be awesome. Um, and then I guess just like, you know, those single back pistol sets and just honestly, just giving Dylan Gabriel a chance to like showcase that he, you know, can play outside of the pocket and just single back set the pistol. Dylan Gabriel rolls straight out left to his dominant side. So, you know, he's throwing, he's throwing off his back foot and then, Halfback pulls to go block, tight ends run slants, wide receivers take those take those safeties away deep, and it opens up opens up the middle of the field again to those tight end passes. I I really want to see tight ends better utilized. Yeah. Um, and then my last note was just don't be afraid to run in shotgun on second and long, third and long down like situations. Stop trying to. We don't necessarily need to. Obviously, we're going to be running the ball more than we've seen in the past, but I don't want us to rely on it especially in second and third and long situations like don't be afraid to let the defense know you're going to throw the ball rely on your pass catchers trust your pass catchers and get that yardage that you need every once in a while yeah Um, so I think I think something so I did a deep dive on this last night going over film um with Jeff Levy I think it's gonna be interesting because this is the first time he's really had the reins of an offense Um, Mm -hmm. so his past past few jobs he's been under very offensive minded head coaches that you know had a lot of say so in the schemes that were being ran. So mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin, Josh Heupel, Art Bryles, um, you know, all considered very, you know, either offensive masterminds or, or very highly touted offensive coaches. Um, it's going to be interesting to see him find his own identity. Obviously, under Bryles, he picked up a lot of that veer and shoot style, um, you know, kind of a a play on the on the running run and shoot running gun type of offense mm-hmm. um, where you spread out the field um, and then allow for allow for more isolation isolation situations one on ones um, and give your you know you run the ball give your chance the, the chance to the running back to put themselves in situations where they have to beat smaller defenders um, and then it also clears yeah. up some space so that you can get some one on ones. Um, with with the receivers under Kiffin. Um, Kiffin obviously had that big West Coast influence, so you started seeing a lot more motions. Um, yeah. I think I think they'll be able to incorporate a lot of all of those schemes into our current scheme. Hopefully, he does a good job of tailoring it to the personnel that we currently have, um, which I, I hope that that he will. I think we're going to see a lot of um, a lot of splits looks like super wide splits. Put the um, put the receivers outside of the numbers so that they're in situations where they only have one man to beat. This is also going to take yeah. some pressure off of the offensive line so that they're able to 
um, use that inside zone look to to get some a nice running push. Um, and then, like you said, with the tight ends, I mean, there's a lot of things with those West Coast motions that you can do to get those inside defenders moving or out of position so that you can do some tight end seams up the middle and get some nice deep plays. Uh, so I think it's, yeah. there, there's a lot of things. It'll be interesting to kind of see how he gets his own, how he gets his own voice and his own style without having a offensive overlord kind of pushing him in a certain yeah. direction. Yeah. And then what that, yeah, what that does for Dylan Gabriel is it takes a lot of the pressure off him and gives him the opportunity to do what his job is as the quarterback and just worry about going through those reads. Um, Cause that's going to be the most important thing is just, him having the ability to see the entire field go through, not everybody has to be open, but just let him go through his reads and make the best decision for that play, which is something that Spencer Rattler wasn't able to do last year. I don't think even Caleb Williams was allowed to do. Caleb Williams just was a lot better um, under that pressure. But, you know, like you said, I think episode one, just take the pressure off. Don't, don't force him to have to make the big plays. Yeah. Which I think think also, I think also, we saw it with Lincoln Riley as, as he went through his tenure, we, we ran less and less of the RPO. Cause that's kind of, that's kind of part of what made Lincoln Riley so dominant was how he utilized the RPO um, with Baker and Kyler. We saw less and less of that, especially with Spencer and Caleb last year. I, we didn't really run any RPO at all. Um, because I think Lincoln Riley was such a control freak. He did not want to put anything in the quarterback's hands. He wanted everything to be from his own script. And so I'm hoping that Levy backs off of that and allows Dylan Gabriel to put himself in some situations where he's making smart reads that's going to open up the field more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it for offense. Moving on to defense. Um, I have a a little bit – fewer notes on defense than I did on offense. Um, what I would like to see is something that comes from like the classic Brent Venables Clemson playbook, which is running, you know, the four, three, four cover two. And then um, basically having the outside linebacker disguised as an edge and just line them up over the tight end. And one guy that I think would be really good, it, you know, if he's not playing next year, the year after one guy that I think is fast enough to do this, is Jaron Canick, but basically have him disguised as an edge over the tight end. And then once the ball is snapped, if the quarterback's keeping him to pass, have him drop into, you know, coverage and be the nickel. And then the middle linebacker becomes the spy. And that way, if, if that was the route, then, you know, you, you give, you give a guy that has the athleticism, the opportunity to make a play on it. So, um, instead of just having, you know, the corner, the corner be the guy that has to worry about that, that read. So yeah, um, that's something that he did a lot at Clemson because they had some, you know, really dominant linebacker cores there. So that'd be something that would be nice to see transfer over. Uh, and then just a general note, just letting corners play over the ball. I think it's something we did way too often is basically why well, I call it sandwich defense, you know, DB plays underneath the, the receiver, safety plays over the top to to prevent the big play, but you're not really keeping anybody from, um, you know, completing passes. So what I'd like to see is letting the corners play over guys. And then instead of playing the safeties in those deep zones, let them play like the middle flat or uh, the deep flat and, you know, get to the ball and actually try to make a play. Like don't just, 
again, this goes back to what we talked about last week. Don't just worry about preventing the big play. Worry about preventing any plays, you know, like make, make attempts to get those turnovers. Uh, And then obviously better tackling uh, plain and simple. Yeah. So I have to not hit like absolute pansies, which is something that I, you know, we we're definitely working on. Yeah. So I think I also, I also did a little bit of a deep dive into Venable's defensive schemes. Three things really stuck out to me that he's really good at. One is getting pressure only bringing three or four guys, basically being able to utilize three and four guys the same as a blitz. And the way he does that is he's very creative with his movements and his shifts on the defensive line. So for instance, he will do things where the the interior defensive linemen will split out and go outside. And then the, the ends cut in and little things like that are going Mm -hmm. to confuse offensive linemen make them think and potentially create situations where we can get deep pressure only bringing three or four guys um so that's that's one thing the movement on the defensive line he's a mastermind of coming up with little shifty shaky things to help make offensive linemen uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um the second one he's really good for um, using using players in unconventional unconventional way so one thing that he'll do a lot is take defensive ends act like they're going to to rush and then actually drop them out either as a man covering the running back or as a as a really really shallow zone um so he does he does a really good job of disguising coverages or putting because he's able to recruit such athletic freaks and coach them so well, he -hmm. can put players that shouldn't necessarily be in certain situations in those situations and have them be very successful. Um, And so, like you said, with Jaron Kanick, like being able to use utilize him as an edge or as an outside linebacker or drop him back almost as like a strong safety in certain situations, having a player that that's, that that is that versatile is really going to play well into his defensive schemes. Yeah. Um, and again, he, he's also very good. Venables is good at knowing his personnel and writing defensive schemes that fit that personnel so that we can maximize, you know, our, our efficiencies under that. Um, yeah. Lastly, it came with his statement that he said, our defense is going to be relentless. Brent Venables defenses do not stop once the play has got, you know, I think it showed well in that Iowa State game, the play that ended the game. Um, QB, sp- uh, the middle linebacker dropped back as a QB spy, kind of bit on a pump fake. Brock Purdy got out, um, and it, it should have been a play that extended that gave Iowa State a chance, but they were relentless. They swarmed to the ball. They were able to cause the turnover, yep. or not the turnover, but the, the fumble that put them behind the line, so it was a turnover on downs. Uh, that kind of relentlessness is going to be refreshing to see. Um, people not give up on plays just because they blew their assignment or, yeah. um, you know, missed, missed the play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just uh, going back to what you said about, um, you know, the three man fronts and, and being creative with how, how you're rushing. Um, I definitely agree with that. But when you're running like a four or five man front, one of the things that we did terribly last year was utilizing our guys because, uh, Perry on Winfrey was on the Oklahoma breakdown talking to Teddy Lehman about it. And, you know, with those four man fronts, they would try to run all these 
all these stunts when you have three or four guys and, you know, Isaiah Thomas, Perrion Winfrey and Jalen Redmond who um, are going to win those one-on-ones. And it's just like, dude, just let us, let us, let us get to this guy. Like, especially when they were doubling Perrion. So it opened up more one-on-one opportunities for a beast like Isaiah Thomas. Um, just letting the guys play and not trying to be too creative with it. And we definitely saw Brent Venables do that at Clemson. Uh, especially that 2018 year when they had that insane defensive line with Dexter Lawrence, Colin Farrell, Christian Wilkins. So um, definitely a lot to unpack there. A lot of things that hopefully we're going to see, but uh, anything else on specifics for next year's spring game? No, I mean, I, I think we're, we're going, so maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll do a live live stream, do something like that from the, from yeah, the game. Man, yeah, we'll get, we'll, we'll get some pictures. Um, get creative with it. We will try to act. I, I mean, I, I'm going to try my damnedest to act like official media, maybe. Maybe get on the field, um, talk <laughs> to some the, players. Yeah. Make some media badges. Yeah, I have I have a Baker Mayfield jersey. I might Maybe I can just, like, walk down there. And I, am, I am Baker Mayfield. They'll let me on the field. But, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to uh, to get some good content for you guys. That should be our goal. We should just try and get on the field, see if we can, see if we can somehow get a, get the media pass, somehow play in the spring game, <laughs> and be a part of earn earn scholarships. Uh, but no, yeah, that's so that's going to do it for that segment. Um, last thing, listener submitted question. This is a good one. I've already thought of my answer, and I'm actually thinking about following through with this. Uh, the question is, if you had to buy. One current player's jersey, so one active player on this roster. Who whose jersey are you buying? I'm gonna let you go first because my answer is gonna depend a lot on what your answer is. Okay, so my answer is Drake Stoops. Um, okay, just just the family name, how much it means to Oklahoma football. Just the fact that I love what the dude does on the field so much, and it's so cool hearing everybody use Stoops whenever he makes a good play. So I want to be that guy that has his jersey so I can do the, like, turn around and point at the name on the back anytime he makes a crazy catch. So that's that's my answer for sure. So I was going to probably go with Stoops too, but since you went with Stoops, I'll go with somewhere else, someone else just to, to keep it interesting. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I would probably – I'd probably go with Key Lawrence if I'm not going to do a Stoops jersey, just because mm. I think I think he's going to end up being like I said. I, I'm I like Key Lawrence a lot. I think he's going to end up being a, a, a defensive leader for us for the next at least the next year, maybe two years. We'll see. Mm. Um, That's an interesting one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Well, there you have it, guys. That is our listener submitted question for the week. Um, on that note, be sure to go check out our Twitter. Um, I post every episode as soon as it comes out on the Twitter. So you guys will know, um, take, take any feedback you have to give us, submit your, submit your questions for us to answer on the next episode. Um, but yeah, be sure to go, go give us a follow and go, uh, go interact with us. It is at TSTB pod. The, uh, the handle is the sooner, the better pod. So you can find us there. Um, Always interacting with the Sooner community. Um, anything else, Blake? Man, nah, nah. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have any <laughs> words of wisdom to give him either. So uh, that'll do it for episode three, y'all. Talk to you next week, Boomer Sooner. Boomer.